Seven, Britain's finest secret agent, licensed to kill, mixing business with girls and thrills. I've seen you on the screen, it's you that I adore. Since I was a boy, I wanted to be like Roger Moore. A girl in every port, and gadgets up my sleeve. The world is not enough for the both of us, it seems. So I wish I was James Bond, just for the day. Kissing all the girls, blow the bad guys away. And I wish I was James Bond, just for the day. Kissing all the girls, blow the bad guys away. Dear listeners, and welcome back to the James Bond Complex, the podcast where we discuss and analyze the James Bond phenomenon and all its shapes and forms, from uh, from that good man Fleming to those damn good movies and everything in between. I'm saying, are we doing an accent now? Or are we like the fake accent complex? Um, let me don't know why. Um, Just went with my flow. And let, let me uh, no wait. I'll do it. <laughs> let me uh, do you the pleasure of uh, using my royal French accent as oh. my. I'll do a little bit of a French Canadian accent. Um, so we'll uh, be we're with uh, Phil Pigioli, um, the uh, author of a book. Uh, no, another book article uh, about uh, James Bond, um, and he wrote one about the book um, "Find Your Fate." I'm doing a bad French Canadian, typical French Canadian you accent. Are French Canadians? So yeah, but that? my accent is my own. But it's sort of like with your your, but it, like, it's the same problem every damn time. Too much mustard. <laughs> Too much mustard. <laughs> Just a, when I, you think, you when we think you got it, you're like, no, I'm gonna. I'm I'm, I'm gonna bring it, it to eleven. <laughs> I, that's, I always do that. Uh, but we're back with Phil. Uh, we're we're talking about a book series that I'm actually, you know, I, I, I'm. I'm really curious about. I haven't gotten yet, but the uh, Find Your Fate series that was a tie-in with mm -hmm. A View to a Kill. You know me. I love me some A View to a Kill. I can take a little bit of A View to a Kill. I can take a lot of Especially a version of A View to a Kill with monsters? Monsters? <laughs> Where Bond dies? <laughs> gets turned into a bottle of wine? Yeah, well, let's crack open those books in that case. Let's get <laughs> the show on the road. All right. I, I, I honestly, I, I I love talking about this the, the, this um, this alternate Bond story, but I, you know, Edgar, you know me, I love of you to a kill. I I know we've had many conversations, sober conversations, sober conversation about your appreciation for. A view I to love a it kill. with and because of its flaws. Do you feel like you could maybe? I don't know. What am I trying to say? Like live through a view to a kill in some shape. I or form? wish I could 
be in a view to a kill. I you could, wish you could be in a view to I, a kill. I wish I could like make decisions. I wish I could interact with the book. I know a guy that might know something about that. Who might that be? Same person we've been talking to for an hour and a half already. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's shift over a little bit to uh, the the second article that that struck uh, our, our fancies, and, and I'm sure would will strike the fancy of of the listeners and and the readers that are subscribed to MI6 Confidential, um, programmed for danger, the James Bond Find Your Fate books. So how did this article come about? Okay, well, they, yeah, these were books that were published when I was uh, a child. So they were they were published as a tie-in to A View to a Kill in 1985 in the summer. And uh, there were four of them. And at the time, I was I think I just turned six years old. Uh, so my mom bought them for me. At, like we were in like a Kohl's bookstore and she got them for me. And so... So there was something from my childhood that I was very nostalgic about, and I uh, and I you know enjoyed them as a kid, and I wanted to learn more about the history of them. So I um, I contacted some of the people involved in in the publication. So I managed to well, first I got in touch with MI6 Confidential, and I said, "Is this something that you'd be interested in getting an article about?" And they and the editor Keogh said. You know, we're we we're not that familiar with these books, and since they, you know, were originally published in, you know, the U.S. exclusively or the U.S. and Canada, he goes, I, I, you know, I'm not familiar with them. So yeah, we would like an article. That would be great. So I um, contacted um, the editor of them, Jane Stein, one of the editors, and one of the authors, uh, Steve Ofanowski, and then the artist on them. Uh, sweet guy Cliff Spawn, who was actually on Facebook. I reached out to him there, oh. uh, and they, yeah, and they, um, they got in touch with me. So we, so I did some interviews, and then I um, did uh, an article on the books. Um, so, have you? Um, so you, you gentlemen, haven't read these books before? No, I, I was mistaken in fa- I don't know why. Maybe because you're so freaking obsessed with a view to a kill i thought you had copies of them. no i did i don't I, i've i've been looking for them but the the thing like i did when i was a kid i did have a few of those find your fates uh oh yeah book. i think we've all played that is it a game do you play the game do you well, read the you book make, what do you do, do you, you make decisions you basically if you uh, you can turn left I, I, the one i remember there was one that was transformers and then you sort of play the children that interacted with the transformers i really love that oh, one that's cool i remember when in elementary school i went to a french language elementary school so i've never read one of these in english but there was the equivalent it was original quote you know original material wasn't like james bond or transformers but it was the same concept where you opened the first chapter and the like the paragraph ended well do you open the left door do you open the right door if you open the right door go to page 152 and then you just went from there they were fun i like there there are some that uh, have a gaming dice like you, you you roll the dice to get points or there's a gaming element to some of them and uh in the second in the market they're actually quite uh, prized by by book collector dudes probably our age that yeah. uh, read them as a children there they want to re-experience them or pass it on to their children so you go to a bookstore and they're they're actually uh, a little bit hard to find and they they're not that um 
the the printing or for the, the the amounts of printed copy must be rather low because even the second end copy I looked at was like thirty dollars for one of the the um, four of them I think huh? yeah but no, it was for just the one it was thirty dollars oh, shipping geez. included wow, okay. I'm like yeah I'm, I'm eventually I'll get them I'll find a way or I'll go to the bookstore and eventually I'll I'll track one down but I I still haven't pulled the trigger for it but I've been fascinated by those books and the, the article you wrote it just it, it makes it brought a smile to my face all the like the bad puns the outrageous adventures uh i've 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 i have a theory about those books that if you were to uh try and market chains bond to a younger audience the tone of those books would be a template that you should that you, you should use because they seem to be more action adventure based and more uh, less about the um, murdering people or banging women or you know the, the, the drink <laughs> drinking until you pass out. They seem to be more action yeah. adventure based stories. Yeah, they were really they were really marketed to young adults, uh, so preteens and I guess some yeah teenagers uh, would be reading them. Um, the publishing company. Uh, this was the stuff that really hadn't been written about and it wasn't evident from the novels, but the, um, the publishing company behind them was Parachute, Parachute Publishing, uh, and they are Manhattan-based. Uh, their subsidiary, Parachute Press, uh, that was, you know, the Parachute Press was behind the, uh, the four books and the entire Find Your Faith series. So basically, um, they wanted to do uh, a series similar to the choose your own adventure books. So as you, as you had described earlier, these were, um, these are books that are written in the second person, second person narrative with allowing the reader to determine the course of the plot using, uh, um, different story threads and possible endings. Mm -hmm. So the choose your own adventure books were massively successful. Um, and Parachute wanted to do something similar. So they had they had a couple of different series. They had one called Twist a Plot, and that was in that was started in 1982. Then they had another one called Micro Adventure. Uh, and they did that for Scholastic. Uh, so representatives at the Random House uh, publishing company reached out to Parachute Press. Um, or parachute publishing because parachute publishing was basically a book packaging company. So they would put together, um, you know, they would hire authors and they would edit the text and they would basically put a series together for a publishing company. So random house wanted, um, uh, their own choose your own adventure series. So they reached out to uh, parachute and Parachute developed the Find Your Fate series. Uh, so Find Your Fate started off as a way to, um, as a tie-in to the Indiana Jones films, particularly Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which had just been released uh, in 1984. Okay. So the first um, 10 books, yeah, the first 10 books are based on Indiana Jones. Uh, and they were really cranking these things out because I think they were produced within, you know, over the course of a year. And, um, and actually one of the, I noticed this recently, but one of the authors of the Indiana Jones books, this is just an aside, Richard Wank, 
ended up becoming a successful screenwriter. He wrote the Equalizer films with Denzel Washington. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he wrote, he wrote one of the books. Um, so for the 11, for number 11 through 14, those four books, um, Random House decided they were going to do a tie-in to James Bond because View to a Kill was coming out. And people knew that that was going to be a hit and there was going to be interest. So Parachute was then tasked with doing four books um, that were tie-ins to A View to a Kill. So the head, um, the owners of the company and the, the head editors uh, were Jane Stein and Joan Waricha. I think is how you say her name. Jane Stein was the wife or is the wife of R.L. Stein. Uh, and uh, R.L. Stein, um, of course, is famous for Goosebumps. Those yes. books were... Yeah, that name. Yeah, I uh, saw that name. I was like, wait a minute. I, 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 honestly, that's the one that I've been targeting. That It, it, it piqued my curiosity. Because uh, I don't know if I've read Goosebumps, but I remember the, the covers for them when I was younger. And they're... they're, they're very memorable, very uh, creepy when you're a kid. Uh, but that's the one I really, I, I, I was uh, trying to 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 buy online. Hmm. Yeah, and they had um, they had another hit series, Fear Street. Um, so now they're and now they're making. I'm sure they're making a lot of money off of the movies, the Goosebumps movies. So, um, so but. And R.L. Stein actually wrote the first of the of the, the Find Your Fade James Bond books. He wrote Win, Place, or Die. Uh-huh. Um, there's another title, by the way, I was wondering about, because there's a John Gardner book that's called Win, Lose, or Die that came out four years <laughs> yeah. later. Damn, yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, probably, um, yeah, probably somebody had noticed that Win, Place, or Die title. to riff on that. Anyway, um, so I was able to reach out to Jane Stein. I got her on the phone and I got a short interview with her and she talked about the development of these books. And, um, she was not, she is not a bond fan (laughs) and she didn't, she didn't remember much about the writing of them, but she did remember. And I shared this anecdote in the, in the article, um, her husband writing win place or die. And in, in an early draft of it, he had opened, uh, the, the book opens with, um, essentially the opening scene from the film where Bond is skiing on the ice. He's in Russia and he's looking for 009. And, um, she said that in his, in RL Stein's first draft, he had like so much exposition (laughs) and there was all this just kind of needless, like descriptions of, of the environment, et cetera. And, um, her, her, uh, colleague, Joan Waricha, contacted um rl stein after she read the draft and she goes this is just the most boring book the way you've written it (laughs) she goes there's just like paraphrasing yeah but she's just like there is so much like needless exposition in this this opening she's like this is the way you've written it now this is going to be the most boring book that nobody will ever read (laughs) and and um and and uh, R.L. Stein called her, you know, Jane, his wife, and said basically, "Don't don't let don't let your uh, colleague ever work with another author." <laughs> he was yeah. like really upset about it, and and Jane Stein was laughing about it, and she said, "You know, we're we're still talking about that to this day." She goes, "That was," she goes, "But she goes, really, that's the only thing that I remember about writing these books <laughs> or editing these books." <laughs> oh man, it is kind of cool um, that the Stein she- name is associated 
to the Bond franchise yeah. in a very peculiar way, but nevertheless, they're associated with the Bond franchise. I kind of kind of like that idea because I read those Goosebumps uh, mm. when I was a kid too. They were good. They were a lot. Of I fun. remember the, the the show when I I saw the first Jack Black movie, but yeah. I have some affinity to, to Kitty Orr. A version of R. L. Stein, he I plays R.L. Stein yeah. in that movie. It's funny. Yeah, that's right. uh, <laughs> there was um, uh, I'm, I'm sort of flipping through the the word version of of the uh, of, I, I can't seem to spot it, but it seems to me there's a little moment in the article where it's mentioned that the the, the decision made the big wigs say are, are referred to as being very strict. And then later mm -hmm. in the article, there's a description of the fourth book, Barracuda Run, which is just like, what the is heck that the is going on? The island of Dr. Morrow? Like, how does that, do we know how that came about? Like, how do you go from, let's make a book based on a view to a kill, and it morphs into the island of Dr. Moreau. Like, how does, how do those two, what's the connective <laughs> tissue there? No, nobody, nobody remembered. Uh, unfortunately, I, I interviewed Steve Ofanowski, who wrote *Barracuda Run*, and he didn't—he didn't have like, too many memories about writing the books. Uh, he's written, I think I noted in the article, he's written like 150 books for kids. Mm -hmm. uh, and although he liked Saban films, um, this was at the time another job for him, uh, and it was one that I think he had a tight deadline on, so he probably cranked it out pretty quickly. Um, but he um, he said that uh, you know he he was a fan of the island of Dr. Moreau, and I think he just wanted to bring uh, these elements into it. He thinks, I mean, he doesn't he didn't even really remember too much about what the book was about. I had to kind of refresh wow. his memory. Um, and he said, yeah, I mean, it was a long time. It was 1985. It was a long time ago, and he's written a lot of books since then. Um, but. You know, that may have also, he said that may have also come from Jane Stein and Joan Riccia because they would provide outlines for the books to, um, sometimes to the authors. So they would kind of give them a direction that they wanted to go in. So he doesn't remember if he's the one who brought in the cross species transplants that are going on with Dr. Glob um, and kind of the horrific elements of it. Um, but. Kind of you a goosebumps story. What'd you say? It's kind of like a goosebumps story. It is. Yeah, it is to a certain extent. But I um I noted this in the article, but by the end of book two, I mean they they had basically run out of elements from the movie to use. Um because the first two books, you know, pretty much go through the mm. the events in the film. So by book three, they had to come up with original story. Um, so why not, why not bring in some horrific elements that kids mm -hmm. would love? I mean, yeah, it's what, like, why not have, I forgot what, what, what some of these monsters were, but like, why not have a, a human with an alligator head killing Bond in one of the endings? <laughs> it's yeah. like, I, there's and, one of them that I, I just, I, it, it, I, I love it. It's uh, uh, Bond is sort of a killed in a uh, winemaking press, and he and it, yeah. it's it's Mayday that reflects. Huh, you wonder how future Vintners will judge Chateau Bond eighty five. 
As far as you're concerned, it was a very bad year. <laughs> this yes. this is, amuses me, but there, some of the endings that are described are so like macabre. I'm like, oh my god, it's and it's poor Roger Moore. I'm picturing because he's yeah. on the cover. Get stuffed into an <laughs> oven in one of them. Yes, right. <laughs> it was a half baked idea. Now it's fully oh. baked. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love those. I love really, very, very funny. But the 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 adventure and, and the degree of violence, I'm assuming, is not. There, there's a. It's not like if they were doing kids' cartoon today with James Bond, they wouldn't mention the word that. But there, there, the the idea of uh, zombies, the sort of henchman mm-hmm. control with Chip, I feel like that's that's that would be. Okay for a cartoon. Yeah, they could pull that off. I they think. could put it out there and put it off. And even the half human, half monster idea for a kids' cartoon, James Bond against the monster man. You know, if you're for a twelve year old, it's perfect. And I'm like, yeah, you're, <laughs> you don't need to James Bond Junior. Just make a James Bond that just don't doesn't focus on on the the more negative or corrupting elements he doesn't smoke and you know he doesn't drink but he's a you can make him a foodie and he's obsessed with food and he's always thinking about mm, I'm going to eat that I'm going to eat that instead of his vodka martinis it's a steak well done mm. <laughs> I don't know but the, the, rare. Seem... medium rare <laughs> why not well I... I told um, I told Steve Afanasky said I said to him I go I don't know if you realize this but you have written possibly the only James Bond book that could be considered a horror book <laughs> and I think I think I don't know if I, I I'm not certain if he if he thought that I was kidding or whatever but he was like oh yeah yeah well that's he goes that's pretty cool yeah he goes I you know again I was a fan of Island of Doctor Moreau and I knew what kids liked so yeah I could. I could see me kind of, kind of bringing in these elements to it, but you had mentioned before about um, the puns at the ends of the, uh, or the jokes at the ends of uh, the chapter at, at uh, in the endings. Um, he, Steve Afanoski, did tell me that uh, that often when they would, after the writers would turn in their drafts, Stein and Joan Oricha would go in and add puns and funny kind of jokes at the ends, <laughs> at the endings or in the endings. So they were, they were, it sounds like they were responsible for a lot of that. Oh. Uh, so, which is, yeah, which is a talent. Definitely. No, it's, <laughs> I mean, it makes for an entertaining read. <laughs> so, they, the, these yeah. books are missing from my, my my book by book collection. I need to get a hold of them. Just one day. I'm, and I love *A View to a Kill*. I know it's a controversial film, but it just, to me, it 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 has a allure of nostalgia, and just I I love it. And I remember reading those 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 uh, books as kids. Do you know anything about Eon's involvement with those types of? Well, I was going to call them books, but it's so they have to sign off on it. Yeah, and this guy writes one where there's a human with a with a crocodile head. Does, like, does, does no one's proofreading this thing? Is Barbara Broccoli <laughs> reading children's literature? Okay, that's good. Uh, that's good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. I have no idea. Um, and Jane Stein didn't remember, but she does remember them being very strict about what they wanted in the books, which is surprising considering. Barracuda Run, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but the um, the artist, and this goes back to Edgar's comment about um, uh, the reaction from Random House to some of the 
elements in, in the in the books. Um, the artist Cliff Spahn told me that he he thinks House um, was very strict about how he drew Roger Moore, and he thinks, and I I, I believe this based on, um, or I would go with this theory based on what I've read about Roger Moore, that. Moore was really concerned about how he was drawn. And that was some of the criticisms were reaching Cliff Spawn because when he would turn in the artwork, he would get pieces of art back with all of these scribblings over over the drawings. Like, why why take out some of these wrinkles? Why do you have the mole on his face here? But and and Cliff's comment to me was, you know, there was a point where I couldn't make more look much younger than 12. <laughs> so <laughs> because there was, a, there was only so much I could do, um, you know, with the way he looked and with, with his age at the time. And um, he said that he got the job to do the artwork for the books when um, he submitted a painting, like he was up for the job and he essentially had to uh, audition for it. And the way to do that was, he had to draw a painting of Roger Moore and like with one of the action scenes. Okay. So that, that ended up being the cover of the second book, which is strike it deadly. Uh, so you can, you know, you can Google that, uh, and see what it looks like, but that's the, the painting that got him the job because Roger Moore's and his people looked at the painting and they approved it. They said, this guy did a great job. You know, we we're going to sign off on Roger's likeness, being used for these books so cliff then could illustrate the other books not just the paintings for the covers but he also had to do interior drawings there were like 50 interior drawings that he did oh. had he had to do with scenes from, from oh the books. really those books that are you, are you telling me that these books have even interior art i i remember yes. from yeah. the uh, okay i remember from the, my transfer book yeah those even books the ones had, i read had some interior it's been a while man that's uh the 80s was a long time ago and it was a hell of a decade <laughs> but yeah no, the, the covers are, are amazing like that's the thing like i you know i i doubt we'll ever see these reprinted but i i kind of wish they did i'm they, 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 if not for their book their the their literary connection to james bond just for the covers themselves yeah yeah we just googled uh uh, strike it deadly that's a but really nice cover, the, the mole the mole thing I, I you remember i remember now that he got got it removed between octopusy and a view to a kill so that's probably why he didn't want it to be uh, on the cover yeah and um and there's a lot of there was a lot of uh bond like book there there were a lot of kids books that were released at the time to tie into a view to a kill because there was like um, there was a series of like book on cassettes and book on record. I posted about them on Twitter before, and um, those I think there were four of them. And um, in addition to these these choose your own adventure books, so it's kind of ironic that um, you know I I think at that at that time I think Roger Moore was like fifty eight when he was interviewed to a kill. Yeah. So yeah, around there he was. I think to date he was the oldest James Bond. Oh yeah. And yeah. So, so it's ironic. It's ironic that there were so many things that were marketed to kids for a film with, yeah, with the oldest actor to play James Bond. And, um, but if you look at those other books, 
I'm sorry. But kids watch it, and for them, Bonnie is not. Some, it's like they're that. It's a father figure. Right, right, and um, but if you look at those other books that were released at the time, and a lot of the other merchandise, he didn't sign off on the likeness. I mean, Bond is drawn to resemble kind of a mix of Connery and Moore, but not really. But definitely, you know, it's not it's not the like likeness of Roger Moore the way it is on these covers. So he didn't do that. It looks like he didn't do that very often at that time. So that's a compliment to Cliff's work. And um, I thought Cliff did an amazing job with it. And I, I was happy to tell him that. Um, if people, you know, people may not know Cliff Spawn's other artwork, but he did a lot of um, the Atari games from the early 80s. Um, so he did, I think breakout was one. He did the artwork on the cartridge. Uh, and there was a book written recently called the art of Atari, uh, where he was interviewed and a lot of his artwork was displayed. Um, and you'll see, you know, after you look at these bond covers and you go and you look at his Atari stuff, you'll see a very similar kind of collage style, uh, in his, in his artwork. And, um, You know, he, we talked for a while, we talked for a couple of hours on the phone and he, uh, yeah, really interesting guy, really nice. And, um, he, you know, he did have pretty strong memories of working on, on the artwork for these books because it was such an unusual project. He yeah. never, this was the only time he had done illustrations for books and he, Um, was he had a particular challenge doing the interior illustrations because he said that was something illustrating scenes from stories from movies or books was not something that he was used to and um, he said he was very picky doing that um, but he would uh, he told me that he would watch he had the Bond films like on VHS cassette and he would run them stop or pause the film and then take Polaroid uh, nice. photos of nice. Roger Moore, yeah, or action shots that he could include on the uh, on the covers. Cool. All right. Uh, so you'll see, like on the cover of Barracuda Run, there's a there's a shot from Free Your Eyes Only uh, that he used with Roger Moore holding the gun. Uh, yeah, well, that I, he incorporated into the. I think there's one also from Octopussy that I saw. There's there's one from yeah, no, there's. Yeah. One, you can see when as a bond fan you can picture say okay I, this is that still but redone or that particular action sequence i right now i don't have my my phone's actually connected to this call so i can't see i can google it but i i do remember looking at them being oh i, I recognize that picture oh and they're showing run right here yeah they get the little fries only yeah. shooting at the car there that's a nice cover by the way That's a, they're all super nice. I mean, uh, back then, Jesus. Is there, uh, I mean, f f so Phil, when you were a kid, you had all four of the books? Yeah, I did. And, um, you know, I only recently learned that these books were barely published outside of the U.S. and Canada. I mean, um, they were pretty easy to attain over here in the, in the States. Um, but, uh, and I, You know, again, I got them. my mom bought them for me, and she also bought. I had the Indiana Jones ones also, um, but they really didn't start trickling out until the following year. They were published in Japan, all four of them, and then for some reason, only the first book, Win, Place or Die, that was published in like Finland in '87, 
and it came out through it's it just seems so random and it, got, it came out through semi press you got to get to that semi i'm sorry you got to get that into that finished market you need some of that action <laughs> but, right, right. <laughs> Well, I think the reason why was they were Semic Press. They published it in Finland. They were doing, they were publishing the Bond comic strips at that time in book form. So I think that's and they and they just saw, you know, they just saw the same market for it. So they they brought it out and um, and then you know in France, 1987, two of the books came out. But other than that, I mean, it doesn't sound like they even had. A proper release in the UK, which is oh, that's a little bar. That's it bizarre. It would be like yeah. having a Superman comic, but only come out in Russia, France. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say I'm guessing just because maybe these books just weren't these types of books weren't as popular in the UK. These choose your own adventures, but I have no idea. Hmm. Possibly. Uh, maybe just to, to, to round things up here, since, I mean, Phil, you, you're probably much more intimately familiar with the four books than, than me and Matt, who haven't haven't read them. But going off of you, your memories, and maybe our my reading of the descriptions through your article, uh, do, we, do each of us have a favorite book based on what we know of them? Do you have a favorite uh, of the four, uh, Phil? Um, the... <laughs> The, the the one that I'm more the, the one I really w- want to uh, read is the R.L. Stein. Not only because of its connection, but it it sort of recounts the the beginning of the movie itself with 009's body, on the 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 Doctor Mortner character uh, a little bit elaborated on. Um, that's the one I'm I would be curious. But all of them have really weird but kind of fascinating plots, and I would be curious to see the level of violence and humor and you know if there's any uh, uh any uh, material that wouldn't be proper for ch- children i'd be curious to see if they they found a way to write bond for children because it, it's it seems uh like a better version of james bond jr to me um, <laughs> that's that's I, I it's it's an oddity in the bond canon that i i i've been uh, looking like i'll get my ends on on the on those books eventually but so far i haven't found a copy that I'm willing to like I'm, I'm not willing to shell $30 for uh, one book like That's for $30 I want the entire four books how about you Phil um I yeah I, I like them all I, I would say maybe Barracuda Run because it was the most you know because of the, the horror elements that we we talked about earlier it might be the most interesting um I like the third book, which is called Program for Danger, and that's by Gene M. Favors, who I wasn't able to get a hold of um, for an interview. But this book is um, – it's kind of interesting because I think it's the most challenging for the reader because it's like – it's kind of like a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. There's a friend of Bond's who gets killed, and um, it's not the, – the, it has Pola, it, well, it has May Day, but it also has Pola Ivanova, I think is how you say her name, and she's a she's a character in the film. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're, from what I remember, they're suspects as well, in addition to Zorin. So you're trying to figure out who did the murder, but you're also, like, May Day and Pola are really kind of like challenging antagonists. So you're trying to not let them outwit you while you're also trying to solve the murder. 
So I, I think probably more could have been done with it, but, but I thought it was interesting. And, um, and it was kind of a, you know, it was a clever way of uh, getting away from some of the stuff in the movie and doing something different. So I, yeah, I, I probably like the third book the best. Yeah. yeah, I was about to pick that one. As, That's the as one well. that that Bond gets turned into wine, basically. If I'm yeah, not... but yes, it's, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit macabre. I I, I would be curious uh, to read that one too. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I, I also mentioned. Oh, go ahead. In the film, oh yeah, in the in the uh, one of the things that disappoints disappoints me about the film is that there's no like fight scene between Bond and Mayday because it seems like they're going in that direction, and because you know mayday is obviously seen as a very strong person you know strong character physically strong she lifts that guy up in the air in that mm. scene with Dolph Lundgren mm. um and you and these books really do something with her physical strength like there are scenes in I know in Strike It Deadly there's a scene where she just picks up Bond and just throws him across the room and <laughs> And I mean, I know that in the films, I, I, I know why they did that in the film. It, they didn't do it in the films because they didn't want to, you know, make Bond look weak or whatever, you know. But um, in the books, it's just, it's, you know, it's kind of cool to see, you know, this kind of strong female character just picking up Bond and just like mm. tossing him like a rag doll. <laughs> I think and I think that Spawn even drew there's an illustration in one of the books of Mayday doing that. Nice. And it was and I remember, and I remember reading it going. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that I thought was going to happen in the movie, but then it just, yeah, it didn't take place. So that was kind of cool. I'm not, I'm not sure how difficult that is to imagine. I mean, Grace Jones is no ordinary human being. So <laughs> I love, I love yeah. Mayday. <laughs> uh, anything else we want to add to uh, to to the second article? I am, uh, I, you know what? I need to get them. I need to get the books. That's all I can That'd add. Be fun. It would be fun to to have a gander. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, Phil, we want to thank you once again uh, for coming on on the show. It's always a pleasure interacting with you on Twitter and and chatting with you uh, on the James Bond complex. We'll we'll have you again. I think we we might be running out of articles. You need to but, start uh, writing more. <laughs> but uh, I think probably yeah, I think so. Maybe next time we'll. Uh, We'll, uh, we won't ask you to do so much, uh, or we, we won't put you in a position to, to do research. Maybe we'll just get you on for, for a Garner or a Benson review or a movie review, something to that effect, something like that. Yeah, that'd be, that'd Keep be great. it easy. Keep it easy. Um, so where, okay. where on, uh, where can you be found online, Phil? Uh, I'm on, yeah, I'm on Twitter. If anybody wants to follow me, it's, uh, Phil, Phil Podge, so P-H-I-L-P-O-G, you can find me. And uh, I have a blog, but I haven't updated it in a long time, uh, Paperback Film Projector. But if, but if you want to go there to read some of my reviews, that's that's cool, too. So, yeah. the, the, and, uh, the, the movie novelizations, I, anything, I think, was what you liked. Movie novelizations, yes. So, yeah, so I did write a very short piece about the Find Your Fates books, just to kind of tie into the article. Um but uh, yeah, and if I if I'm writing anything, if I have any articles coming up, I'll let you guys know. So, thanks again for having me on your show. Oh, Always a pleasure. Pleasure. It's absolutely. Matt, you're looking at me. Sounds like you I'm have curious. Uh, what are you curious about? Uh, you need I, some help? I, I need to know. Really? Uh, for yeah. us, I mean, I, what about Phil just 
explain. That's what but you do said. We have, let me help you. Do we have people everywhere. We do have people everywhere. Wouldn't you agree, Phil? <laughs> so you can go to com, which is also our, our Tumblr account. To this day, I have not figured out how that works exactly, but it's a Tumblr account. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Search for the James Bond Complex. That one's that, That's pretty active, actually. We have a lot of activity going on there. Uh, likewise, on the Twitter account, uh, at the Bond Complex. There's no James in that. Um, there's the Instagram account, which you're doing an absolutely splendid like job of. Uh, that's your baby. Always has been, always will be. Uh, search for the James Bond Complex. Uh, you can watch some of our material on, on YouTube. Uh, search for the James Bond Complex and subscribe, of course. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. Leave a comment. Call us Millennial Snowflakes. Do whatever you want. And uh, if uh, there's our, our friends at Anchor.fm who host us. That's sort of the HQ, if you will. And if you want to download us for free, uh, I've gotten out of my system. I'm not going to ask for money anymore. I'm going to stop it. I, you know I, that. I've accepted the truth. <laughs> um, go to Google Play and, and and subscribe and download the James Bond Complex. And, and iTunes. I'm still a little bit of an iTunes man. I still got my iPad. Although the screen is cracked now. So I'm you're dropping. in between. You're like uh, kind of like dark side, light side. I know. I'm exactly like, uh, what's her face? Uh What's who's the name of the heroine in the Star Wars movies now? Um, I don't even know. Ray. Ray. Yes, I'm exactly like Ray. I'm a. I'm a yeah, I mean, yes. I was gonna say Lando is more like light side, dark side because he works for the Empire. And that's true. <laughs> um, iTunes. Search for the James Bond Complex. Uh, subscribe, review, and leave us a five star glo- glowing golden gun review. I'm on Twitter at double O pop. That's the word double underscore O H underscore pop. I'm also on Twitter at Matt O'Claire with two T's, but actually, you know what? Yeah, I'm more active on Instagram at Matt O'Claire 007. Mm-hmm. And uh, just as just as James Bond always returns, so too with the James Bond complex. One of these days we'll return with Phil Pujali as well. Thanks yeah. again, Phil. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And, uh, All right. Have a good one. Absolutely. You too. And uh, toujours un plaisir. À la prochaine. Au revoir. Au revoir.